0: volume two chapter six of the vicar of rexhill this librivox recording is in the public domain the vicar of rexhill by francis milton trollope volume two chapter six the return on reaching mowbray the first figure which greeted the eyes of the travellers was that of charles stationed on the portico steps waiting to receive them a line from helen to rosalind written only the day before announced their intended return but the appearance of charles was a surprise to them and to helen certainly the most delightful that she could have experienced mr cartwright had written a long and very edifying letter to mrs mowbray informing her of the unexpected arrival of her son from the scene of his studies and making such comments upon it as in his wisdom seemed good but though this too was written in the secret recesses of his own chamber with many affecting little circumstances demonstrative of his holy and gentle emotions while so employed it was nevertheless under the influence of still riper wisdom subsequently destroyed because he thought that the first surprise occasioned by the young man's unwonted appearance would be more likely to produce the effect he desired than even his statement neither rosalind nor charles himself had written because they were both unwilling to state the real cause of his coming and thought the plea of whim would pass off better in conversation than on paper that fanny should write nothing which good mr cartwright did not wish known can be a matter of surprise to no one helen who had descried charles before the carriage stopped descended from her lofty position with dangerous rapidity and sprang into his arms with a degree of delight greater perhaps than she had ever before felt at seeing him the exclamation of mrs mowbray certainly had in it as the wise vicar predicted a tone that indicated displeasure as well as surprise and the embrace which she could not refuse was so much less cordial than it was wont to be that he turned again to helen and once more pressed her to his heart as if to console him for the want of tenderness in his mother's kiss meanwhile mr stephen corbold stood under the lofty portico lost in admiration at the splendid appearance of the house and grounds Mrs. Mowbray, with a sort of instinctive feeling that this excellent person might not altogether find himself at his ease with her family, hastened towards him, determined that her own Christian humility should at least set them a good example, and putting out both her hands towards him, exclaimed, with an earnestness that sounded almost like the voice of prayer, Welcome, dear, dear, Mr. Corbold, to my house and home, and may you find in it the comfort and hospitality your exemplary character deserves. Then turning to her son, she added, i know not how long you are likely to stay away from college charles but while you are here i beg that you will exert yourself to the very utmost to make mowbray agreeable to this gentleman and remember if you please that his religious principles and truly edifying christian sentiments are exactly such as i would wish to place before you as an example charles turned round towards the serious attorney intending to welcome him by an extended hand but the thing was impossible there was that in his aspect with which he felt he could never hold fellowship, and his salutation was turned into a ceremonious bow, a change which it was the less difficult to make, from the respectful distance at which the stranger guest placed himself, while preparing to receive the young man's welcome. Though Rosalind had purposely remained in her own apartment till the first meeting with Charles was over, Helen was already in her arms, having exchanged a hasty kiss with Fanny, whom she met in the hall, hastening to receive her mother. "'Oh, my dearest Rosalind, how thankful I am to be once more with you again! I never, I think, shall be able to endure the sight of London again as long as I live. I have been so very, very wretched there. Upon my word, Helen, I have not lived upon roses since you went. You can hardly be so glad to come back as I am to have you. What did your mother say on seeing Charles?' "'I hardly know. She did not, I think, seem pleased to see him. But I am more delighted at the chance that has brought him. Let it be what it will, then I have words to express.' oh it is such a blessing to me dear dear charles he knows not what a treasure he is the very sight of him has cured all my sorrows and yet i was dreadfully miserable just now then thank heaven he is here my own helen but tell me dearest what is it had made you so miserable though you tell me it is over the tears seemed ready to start when you said so oh my woe will make a long story rosalind and some of them must be for your ear only but this shall be at night when nobody is near to hear us but by the way you must have a great deal to tell me. How comes it that Charles is here? And what seems strangest still, how comes it that, as he is here, you have not been living upon roses? My woes may make a story as well as yours, Helen, and a long one, too, if I tell all. But it must come out by degrees, a series of sketches, rather than in history. Have you seen anybody from Oakley, Rosalind? Ah, Helen! said Rosalind, smiling, as she watched the bright colour mounting even to the brows of her friend. Your history, then, has had nothing in it to prevent your remembering Oakley. My history, as you call it, Rosalind, has been made up of a series of mortifications. Some of them have almost broken my heart, and my spirit, too, but others have irritated me to a degree of courage and daring that might perhaps have surprised you, and everything that has happened to me has sent my thoughts back to my home and to my friend's, all my friends rosalind with a degree of clinging and dependent affection such as i never felt before my poor helen but look up dearest and shed no tears if you can help it we all seem to be placed in a very singular and unexpected position my dear friend but it is not tears that will help us out of it this new man this vicar seems inclined to go such lengths with his fanatical hypocrisy that i have good hopes your mother and fanny will ere long get sick of him and his new lights and then all will go right again depend upon it all that has hitherto gone wrong has been wholly owing to him i certainly do not think that your poor father's will was made in the spirit of wisdom but even that would have produced none of the effects it has done had not this hateful man instilled within ten minutes after the will was read the poison of doubt and suspicion against charles into the mind of your mother do you not remember his voice and his look helen when he entered the room where we were all three sitting with your mother i am sure i shall never forget him i saw in an instant that he intended to make your mother believe that charles resented the will and that instead of coming himself he had sent him to your mother to tell her of it i hated him then and every hour that has passed since has made me hate him more but let us take hope helen even from the excess of evil your mother cannot long remain blind to his real character and when once she sees him as he is she will again become the dear kind mother you have all so fondly loved could i hope this rosalind for the future there is nothing i could not endure patiently for the present at least nothing that could possibly happen while charles is here but i do not hope it there was a melancholy earnestness in helen's voice as she pronounced the last words that sounded like a heavy prophecy of evil to come in the ears of rosalind heaven help us then she exclaimed if we are really to live under the influence and authority of the vicar of wrexhill our fate will be dreadful if your dear father had been spared to us a few years longer if you and i were but one in twenty helen how different would be the light in which i should view all that now alarms us and my fortune would be plenty for both of us and i would take you with me to ireland and we would live with-oh rosalind how can you talk so idly do you think that anything would make me leave my poor dear mother if you were to marry for instance i should never do that without her consent and that, you know, would hardly be leaving her. Well, heaven and in our innocency defend and guard us. For I do think, Helen, we are in a position that threatens vexation to say the least of it. I wonder if Miss Cartwright's visit is to end with your absence. She's the very oddest personage. Sometimes I pity her, and sometimes I almost admire her. Sometimes I feel afraid of her, but never by any chance can I continue even to fancy that I understand her character. Indeed, yet in general, you set about that rather rapidly, Rosalind but must we not go down i have hardly seen fanny and i long to talk a little to my own dear charles and you will like to have some tea after your journey mrs mowbray i think never stops en route in general she does not but to-day a shudder ran through helen's limbs as she remembered the travelling adventures of the day and she stopped you look tired and pale helen come down take some tea and then go to bed directly if we do not act with promptitude and decision in this matter we shall set up talking all night As they passed Miss Cartwright's door, Rosalind knocked, and that young lady immediately opened it. "'Oh! You are come back, then? I fancied, by Mr. Cartwright's not coming this evening, that something might have occurred to prevent you.' "'If it had,' said Helen, smiling, "'it must have been announced by express, for you can only have had my letter this morning.' "'True,' replied Miss Cartwright. When the three young ladies entered the drawing-room, they found nobody in it but Mr. Stephen Corbold, Mrs. Mowbray having gone with Fanny to her own room and charles ensconced himself in the library to avoid a -a tete-a-tete with the unpromising-looking stranger rosalind gave him a glance and then looked at helen with an eye that seemed to say who in the world have you brought us helen however gave no glance of intelligence in return but walking to a table which stood in that part of the room which was at the greatest distance from the place occupied by mr corbold she sat down and began earnestly reading an old newspaper that she found upon it miss cartwright started on recognizing her cousin and though she condescended to pronounce how do you do mr kobold there was but a cold welcome to him expressed either by her voice or manner no one presented him to rosalind and altogether he felt as little at his ease as it was well possible for a gentleman to do when the door opened and mrs mowbray and fanny appeared from that moment he became as much distinguished as he was before overlooked Fanny, who knew that it was Mr. Cartwright's cousin who stood bowing to her, delighted at the honour of being told that she was Miss Fanny Mowbray, received him with a kindness and condescension which soothed her own feelings as much as his, for she felt that every word she spoke to him was a proof of her devotion to her dear good Mr. Cartwright, and that even when he heard of it, he could not fail to understand that it was for his sake the party retired early ostensibly for the sake of the travellers but perhaps the real cause of this general haste to separate was that they all felt themselves singularly embarrassed in each other's company before mrs mowbray had been five minutes in her house she had ordered a splendid sleeping apartment to be made ready for mr Corbold, and the first half-hour after retiring to it was spent by him in taking an accurate survey of its furniture fittings up and dimensions after which he very nearly stifled himself forgetful of the dog-days by striving to enjoy the full luxury of the abounding pillows with which his magnificent couch was furnished mrs mowbray and fanny separated after a short but confidential colloquy miss cartwright took her solitary way to her chamber where as the housemaids asserted she certainly spent half the night in reading or writing or something or other before she put out her light and rosalind and helen spite of their good resolutions not only sat up talking in the library themselves but permitted charles to share their watch with them so that before they separated every fact thought or opinion treasured in the minds of each were most unreservedly communicated to the others excepting that helen did not disclose at full length all the reasons she had for detesting mr corbold and charles did not think it necessary to mention that rosalind grew fairer to his eyes and dearer to his heart every hour End of Chapter Six.